0: I can remember when we were playing King on the Mountain that it really wasn't about the humble life of a Christian stance. I can remember as a young boy, there was only one thing of real importance. Since I was always shorter and I was always playing with older cousins, it was a sneak attack method where you caught them from behind and pushed them from behind, hoping to hurt them badly. That rarely happened, although the retaliation was often swift and caused me to run in amongst the cedar trees and Dallas hiding from the older cousins because they had the look of death in their eyes. It was not their own death that they were planning. It was fun. It was joyful. And it seemed harmless at the time. And indeed it was. Children found a way to entertain themselves while the parents visited away the afternoon. What is concerning a little bit is that we behave a lot like those children as we get older, don't we? We live in a nation where being number one on top of the mountain consumes us at times. We live in a nation sometimes where even the church sounds very much like it wants to be number one above all else in ways that perhaps might not even be the way that Christ intended. It's a strange way for us to look at our faith today, but in the midst and in the presence of this text, this writing from Paul, we do find ourselves a little bit in awe of what is said there. It is the language of praise and worship, not the language of of teaching. Really, not really, not really the language of convincing, but rather just the praise and worship of what already has occurred in Paul's own minds. What already has occurred in the heavens that we speak about often. What has already occurred in creation, but has not yet been fully completed. And we speak about it, and he speaks about it here as if this rule of God and this rule of Christ was already fully instituted. And that, you know, for a while, those kind of things used to really bother this country boy. Because I lived in that black and white world in Farmersville, Texas, you know, where I was raised, and life was pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I didn't know too much about philosophy. I didn't know too much about deep thinking. I didn't understand the very ideas until they until the world through schools began to teach me a word of wisdom and knowledge that allowed me to understand. I remember the day I finally got something. That has, for me, become very important in my understanding of the world that I live in. This world that is not all that it can be, and yet still the world that God created. And that was the day I was sitting in philosophy class. Now, if you've ever taken a philosophy of religion class and you stayed awake for some part of it that was important, and you know, and found yourself oftentimes kind of swimming away in the sea of long words and concepts that were a little foreign to your. Uh, upright world of uh, fact and fiction then you may have caught hold of something that it was very important and I did one day in class when I finally began to realize that in the mind and in the heart of God and in fact in God's presence creation was already completed that the things that occur in our world today of space and time were already completed and already known by God who exists beyond time and above time. And so in such a way that God can talk about things that are coming and things that will happen as if they've already occurred because they certainly will. Now, I'm not speaking of it in terms of causation I'm not saying that God causes every little thing to happen that happens in the world. That's not what I believe. But I do believe that God knows what's going to happen in the world. God knows what we're going to do even before we do it, and yet allows us to make the decisions about whether we will do what we're going to do or not. He allows us the freedom, though he be the king of all creation, to make our human choices and decide our ways. And sometimes that's a really good thing, right? Right? And sometimes we kind of wish that God would just take over and do away with all the struggle, right? It would just be so much easier if God was just the great puppeteer and we were all being pulled along the strings of life. But that's not the way God created us. Indeed, he created us in his own image with the ability to think and move beyond the sphere of this plane in which we live with a realization that there is a whole creation beyond the created world that we're a part of. There's a reality that's bigger than our minds can often comprehend. And his language of worship and praise soars throughout these words of Paul as he takes this vision of creation. Raised by God's power from the dead, he said of Christ. Exalted to the right hand of God. This one was above all rule and power and authority on earth. Wouldn't that be a surprise to a lot of leaders of the world? He is the head of the church for the purpose of fulfilling the fullness of God in his people. And not just in the people of the church, but for all humanity. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Such thought is really too big for our heads. It makes my head hurt just to repeat it. To think about it creation and all that's going to happen already having been realized in the mind of God. That gets all kinds of trouble to my factual kind of head and to the way I think about the world in which I believe. And in fact, just to call Jesus the Christ of all life, the King of all creation, is a problem in our world today, isn't it? I mean, when you say that, people look at you like it will say, well, how archaic is that to think that your God and your king is the ruler of all creation? That's not the God I worship. And my God certainly is equal to your God. What makes you think your God is better than mine? In this world of secular and religious pluralism, it is a challenge to say you follow the God of creation, the only God, the only true God. And people look at you and think you're arrogant. And in fact, other religions of the world point fingers at us and talk about us being judgmental of others. And in fact, we Christians can sometimes act just like that. That is not the way of Christ. And yet somehow in our minds we forget that. Sometimes in our minds we do feel superior for when we gather inside these walls and in places around the country. Sometimes we do feel like that we have the key, the secret gnosis, if you will, the wisdom of the ages that others do not have. And sometimes we feel like it is meant just for us. And in those cases, when we begin to think that way, we are proving to them, those people out there who are pointing fingers at us, just what they are saying. The Christians are arrogant people, people are judgmental of other groups and other nations. People are indeed, who call themselves Christians, oftentimes not living up to the fullness of Christ. And you say, well, what exactly do you mean? I mean this. Jesus did not claw his way to the throne. Jesus did not connive and figure out a way to be crowned king. God, the scriptures say, God raised Jesus from the dead. And God crowned him as King of all creation, because it was God's choice in God alone. Yes, Jesus was unique, but He never acted like He was special. Right? Hey, you remember that time in the world when you were growing up, and the world was had a saying going around saying, "Oh, you're so special." That was not a compliment, right? You, you're so th- you're so special. Yes, and you, when they looked at you, like you felt like all of a sudden not so special, right? Because you knew they were trying to tell you that you're not nearly as special as you think you are. Well, that's the, kind of the way Jesus lived. He didn't live with an air of superiority. And though he was exclusively the Son of God, he died not just to save us gathered here, but he died to save every people, every individual, in all the nations, in all the world. And in that sense, he was not inclu- exclusive, but rather inclusive. He's exclusively the only son of God, but his death was inclusively meant for the benefit of everyone. And in that sense, yes, he's unique, but he is also unique not just for a privileged few or specific people, as the story begins with Abram, but rather inclusive that God died for every individual around the world. When I try to put my mind around that, it just breaks. It breaks because I think of all the cultural barriers. I think of all the things that people have been taught. I think of all the experiences that people have had. I think of the ways that when the church at times has not been the church it was called to be. I think at times when I've not been the Christian I was called to be. I think of the times when I look at people and I know that they're not a finished product. And yet God sees them as finished. And I thank God for that, right? That when God sees us, he sees the finished product, not just what he is today. Every time I make that mistake, I make once a year when I make that mistake, you know. Some more of you should be laughing. You know, we are human beings and we are prone to wander. And yet the God of the cosmos never wanders away from us. This, this reign that God intends is not meant to be a place of privilege, but rather a calling to service. And that's what it means for God to put Christ, the head of the church. It means that the church is to take the posture of Jesus who walked this earth. The argument is pretty intense about where is the greatest witness in the church for the salvation of humankind on one side there are those who say well it's at the cross when Jesus died for our sins and that's been a lot of my thinking in life but another there are a multitude of scholars and fathers of the church in ancient history who have said clearly that no really God saved Jesus by sending Jesus as a human being to live as a human being among us to serve us as a human being before we ever died upon the cross His work was salvific in all that he did. It provided for the salvation of each and every one of us because he lived the life that was pure, because he was all that he could be. That is the reason that God lifted Jesus above all kingdoms. That's the reason his power is greater than all power. It's the reason when we worship him and we fall down in his presence, it's not because just that he died for our sins, although we get to that in a hurry, but then we begin to contemplate it, to be intentional about following the life that Jesus lived. And once we become intentional to do that, we begin to look more like Christ. Now granted, it's an image, right? And that image is imperfect in each of us. But still, that image is real in the mind of God and in our minds. And once we begin to get intentional about following Jesus, we become much more teachable, much more open to the revelation and the knowledge of who God is and who Christ is. And the more we become teachable and the more the words of the Scripture pour into us, the more we can read a passage like this and be left speechless. Speechless in the presence of words that are incredible to us. Almost beyond imagination. And so when we come to the final closeout of the Christian year, it's not by accident that the church has chosen to remember on this closeout of the Christian year that Christ is king. Because you see, having Christ as king is really what it's all about, right? That allowing Jesus to reign from the throne as Christ, not only in the throne in heaven, but in the throne of our lives, the seat where we make our decisions, the place where our thoughts are controlled. The place where the actions receive guidance. Not grasping this, but receiving it as his reward for being all that God created him to be. What does that mean for us? For the past eight, nine weeks or so, we've been talking about identity. What it means, who are we in Christ? Who are we as members of First Methodist Carrollton? But even bigger than that, who are we as followers of Jesus Christ? Christians in the world stage. And that identity is clearly defined in the words that we hear read today. It is defined and shaped by our identity as the person of Jesus Christ. The eight words that we've been talking about over these weeks are all words that lend to that identification. People identify us as Christian when we're loving, period. It has become and still is The chief way, even as Jesus said it would be, they will know that you are my children by your love, that you have for one another. Love one another as I've loved you, he told those disciples. Because you see, there's nothing like being identified as a person who's loving because the world never gets enough of it. Now, we get enough of everything else, right? (laughs) But we don't get enough of being loved. Being loving is the hallmark of the way the world identifies Christians, and it is the hallmark of how we identify our own lives to the extent that we know and realize how loving we are. When you go to do your you give yourself a report card, right? How often do you get report cards, by the way, I should ask you that? How often do you grade yourself? You say, well, it's not about grade; it's about being graceful. So, so says a man who's not taking any classes, right? Certainly, it's about progress in the Christian faith. The Christian faith is about transformation, and we're not going to know how we're doing unless we're grading ourselves. The fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, and peace. Are you more loving than you used to be? Well, sure. Okay, so are you more loving than you were last year? Well, that's getting a little too specific. Were you more loving than you were last week? That's harder. Are you more loving than you were yesterday? Especially if you were being a yesterday. <laughs> Have you ever had a day when you were being a beep yesterday? Well, it's easy the next day to say, well, I'm more loving than I was yesterday. Actually, it's easier for me. I can just ask Sally, and she'll say, were well, you more loving than you were last week, you jerk? <laughs> ah. Yeah. Yeah, i, I out to the truth yeah, occasionally, you know. That's the way it, it comes out. That's the way life is. But when we begin to evaluate ourselves, we become more teachable. We become more intentional about following the king of kings, about making Christ really the king of our life. You know, we try to get people in churches. For years, I think churches spend a lot of time trying to get people to give money. And, and that's really the whole wrong attitude about how we raise funds in the church. In fact, quite frankly, we don't need to raise funds. We need to raise Jesus. We need to remind people about what they have received. What did he say this was? He said, I want you to be filled with all the wisdom and the knowledge of who Christ is, right? He says, I want you to have... Know the hope of his calling, which is understand the mission of saving the world. He said, I want you to be aware of the glorious inheritance you're receiving. I don't mean just going to heaven. I mean the glorious in heaven we're receiving right now. But what it means to have an inheritance of of life in Christ makes life living completely different. And thirdly, he says, I want you to know the greatness of his power in your life for those who believe. Wow, just think about that. We get all that stuff. It's like it's like uh, Halloween, and we're trick-or-treating, and we're getting our bag filled up. To all the fullness of God, though, not all the fullness of the Hershey Company. Although, it's, that's something to be said for Hershey bars, right? Okay, so, you, we, you know, I don't think I want to eat anymore. Uh, at our house, we, we committed a grave mistake, uh, We really didn't plan all the meals, especially the men. So we ended up with a little smaller crowd than usual and an ice box filled with pie. (laughs) Pumpkin pies, bananas, strawberry pies, and and cheesecake that Sally made that she doesn't usually make that takes too long. And we had pecan pie, and we had pumpkin pies from two sources. And we we had something that one of the nephews bought. I forgot what kind of pie. I don't even remember what it was. Custard pie or something. I don't know. I didn't try it because I knew it wasn't near as good as what the other was over there I was going to get. But you know, then everybody left, and, and we were left with all this pie. It's a wonder I can speak today. You know, insulin has never been so plentiful in my house as I keep stuffing in pie and getting more insulin. And you say, that's really bad for you. Not on Thanksgiving. It's okay on Thanksgiving. It's okay. But Thanksgiving comes over. And all that inheritance of blessing of food is gone, and we get back to uh, being more normally ourselves. We need to gorge ourselves a little more often on the presence of Christ. We need to allow Christ to fill us up so we're so full, we don't feel like we can take in another moment of his presence or our ears are going to burst. We need to gorge ourselves on the idea of how sweet it is to talk to Jesus fellowship with Jesus, to pray to Jesus and believe he's going to meet our needs. Yesterday, Cindy sent out the prayer note to those of you who are on the prayer list because one of our sweethearts was in surgery, and my mind is not what it once was. I all of a sudden lost my Nancy was about to have surgery, 88 years young, and the doctor had said her stomach was twisted. The doctor had said her stomach is dying and we got to do surgery, and they got in there, and guess what? Stomach wasn't twisted, and guess what? Her stomach wasn't dying. And guess what? Yes, what? God answered prayer. The power, the power of God can be amazing. So they did something much more minor fix, And now that 88-year-old, uh, wife of a pastor in this conference and in this area, is going to walk around to God knows she's how old. I don't know. I don't ever ask Nancy how old she is, and I wouldn't recommend you do it either, you know. But Nancy is full of life. She's filled with the fullness of God. She's a blessing to us and a blessing to her world. And she was touched by God in a powerful way that fooled even the doctors as they worked on her. And we say if if we're intentional and and teachable, we will become more loving and forgiving. You just can't follow Jesus without becoming more forgiving. When I run into people who are 70 years in the faith and they're still not a very forgiving person, it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart because I know they've been missing the point of having Christ as their king. They've been forgetting to open themselves up to receive the fullness of God that Christ wants to pour into them. Because you can't just keep hanging out with Jesus and not being forgiving. You can't just claim you're a Christian and not be loving. And that means that guy behind you honking his horn because you're late taking off at the stoplight. You gotta love that jerk. I mean, that person. You know, it's hard. It's hard sometimes to love people, but loving is what we're all about. We're identified by loving and forgiving and being intentional and being teachable. We are hopeful people. We are confident people that though the work has not been completed in us, God is not finished with us. Just like the bumper sticker says, God will keep pouring out as long as we're open. As long as we're open We can receive what is being poured out. Now, sometimes we're just not open. And God pours out on us and it just drains to the ground. What a waste. All that grace just dripping off of us like we were wearing a raincoat. But the moment we become teachable and open, then all of that grace just oozes into our very cores. And God transforms us little by little, lifetime by lifetime until we become whole. Whole people. We're identified by being whole people. Not just in body, but in mind. Not just in body and mind, but in our emotional lives. And not just in our emotional lives, but in our spiritual lives. We become complete, holy, set apart for God. Blessed to be a blessing, the church of Jesus Christ, where all the fullness dwells. And when that happens, the world, person by person, country by country, is being saved. Not by us. But by the God who's been allowed to enter our lives and to work through us as instruments of his grace to all those people who just can't see that Christ is king. But we know. Now all we have to do is just to open ourselves up and admit to who we are. I'm a Christian. What would it be like if we just started telling people right off the bat? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a loving, forgiving person. (laughs) Scary, isn't it? What if they call your hand, (laughs) right? So that means I don't have to return the lawnmower I borrowed last year. Not that forgiving, you know. No, really you'd just say, sure, you can just keep it. I don't need it, right? Isn't that what Christ would do? And then if it were Christ, wouldn't he also say, do you need any other tools I have? And you say, okay, preacher, you're going too far now. No, I haven't. I haven't. What we have, we've received for others. It's just that simple because I already have all I need because I have Jesus, and he's the Lord of my life. I just have to remind myself often to surrender myself to his rule. And when I do, my whole world is different. Gracious God, I thank you for these people who are gathered here today on this week after Thanksgiving. I thank you, Lord, for all the ways you blessed us as we lived our lives amongst family, as we shared our love with friends. I thank you, Lord, for the blessings you give us as a nation that allow us together in places of safety to enjoy and to love one another. The abundance that you created for us, Lord, is an amazing thing that we remember, not only at Thanksgiving, but each day of our life. We remember, Lord, how you came to us to give yourself to us in order that we might not just be here for ourselves, but remember that we are really here for others, that you just didn't come to make us special, except in the sense that as we become special, people can see you in us in order that the world might be saved. For that was your mission, and that is your mission, and that will be your mission when this earth is no more and a new earth has begun. And we as your people, we as your people, we're your bodies. When we love, it becomes your love. When we forgive, it becomes your forgiveness. When we become intentional, then possibilities open around us. When we become teachable, then we continue to absorb your presence in greater and greater ways. And as we get more and more of you, our hopefulness for our fallen world grows brighter and brighter and stronger stronger, and our confidence in you and in your ways make us to be the whole people you created us to be, wholly set apart for you, Holy in the sense that we have the righteousness of Christ within us, and we have separated ourselves from ourselves so that we can give our true self to you as we allow you to be king and ruler of our lives. May it be true today in our hearts and in the hearts of the people around your world. If there's anyone here, Lord, this morning who does not know you as Savior, anyone here this morning who does not have a place they call home as their church, we invite them to come forward this morning to share with us where they are in their life that we might join hands and hearts with them and their struggle to place you upon the throne of their life. We invite them to come, Lord, even as we invite any who need to come on this day of surrender to surrender their hearts to your Lordship as we stand and sing this closing song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.